Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from BYU-Idaho, who um, is my friend Dylan Stiegel. Welcome to the podcast, Dylan. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm glad you ha- you're having me. Um, Dylan's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint and a BYU-Idaho student. He is somebody that I've grown to really admire, respect, love. We've known each other for a couple of years. He was um, felt safe enough to share a little bit of his story with me a couple of years ago, not long after he came home from his mission. I've just watched him um, on this journey that led to an August 20th coming out post that I'll have Dylan read. But just by more background, Dylan grew up in East Texas. Um, good athlete in high school, played football, basketball, but really excelled in cross-country track and ended up getting a Division three offer and went to college. He'll talk about that, then served a mission in Chile, Santiago East, I believe, and um, then came back and went to BYU-Idaho. So he is 23. He's um, a biomedical science. Is that right, Dylan? Say that for us. That's correct. Better. Yeah, biomedical science. And um, preparing to become a doctor. So bright young man, talented young man, really brave to be out at BYU-Idaho. I've had many people tell me Dylan's role for good in their life as he is out at BYU-Idaho and a real example and strength to many that are out, not out, as he's been willing to um, step forward and share his story. So we said a prayer. We hope that those of you that are closeted, that Dylan will have some insights will help you and give you hope if you're a parent that um, Dylan will have some ideas that will help you if you're just you know a Latter-day Saint trying to learn more about this space hearing from LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is the best way to learn about this space and so I try to get out of the way and let my guests do most of the talking the way you can help this podcast though if you want to is leave a review at iTunes um, a written review is the most important thing, or leave a review for the book I wrote, Listen, Learn, and Love Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. You can do that desert book or Amazon. So take us back to East Texas, Dylan. Oh, I don't know much about East Texas. My wife's from Houston, so I know that part of Texas, but Texas is big, man. So tell us about East Texas, where you grew up, and all that stuff. Um, so I grew up in a small town called Bowler, Texas. Um, of about 2,500 people. Um, that's where I went to high school, Bullard High School. Um, but I claim Tyler, Texas as my um, my city. It's a little bit bigger, has about 100,000. Uh, fun little fact, that's where Patrick Mahomes is from. Um, so that's a good way for people to connect the dots to where I'm from. Tell us about, um, yeah, keep talking about East Texas. Tell us about, I assume that's early morning seminary. How many LDS kids in your high school? Stuff like that. Yeah, so um, early morning seminary every every weekday at 6 a.m. Um, I think in my high school we had um, 10 or 15 of us at a time. Um, and some of my closest friends were both went to my high school and my church. And so we grew up together and, uh, that was a lot of fun to, to always be spending time together. And tell us, I'm a weather guy. So tell us about the weather in East Texas. I'm, I'm thinking of Houston where it's in the summertime, it's pretty hot. Is East Texas pretty hot and humid or is it different? Oh, it, 
it's terribly hot and humid in the summer. And, and since I've been in Idaho for the most part of the past couple of years, um, going home during the summertime is always an adjustment. And tell us about your family, um, how many siblings you have and where you fit in. I'm the oldest, um, oldest of four. I have a brother that's on a mission right now in Orm, Utah, um, but he was originally called to, to Vina del Mar, Chile. So we both, both of us are Chilean missionaries, and we're hoping that he gets to go down there uh, before too long. He's just in Orm temporarily. Um, he's been there for um, about seven or eight weeks. Um, and then I have a sister that's 17 and a brother that's 13. So we're all, we're about 10 years apart and we're, we're growing up. Talk about, um, just coming to terms with your sexual orientation. Um, when you realized you were, you know, just talk about anything you want to talk about before you left on your mission. Um, I think the big, I ran, a, I ran a lot. I ran, what I'm trying to say is I ran away from my sexuality a lot. Um, and so I had yet to say that I was gay or even accept that I was attracted to guys um, before my mission. I really uh, put it on the back burner and tried to occupy myself in every, every possible way um, so that I didn't have to face the reality of, of, of things pretty honest um you're 23 what would you say to your i mean i think that's a pretty good i have a couple i was gonna ask a question but i'll wait on that question talk more about just your sexuality did you i mean when you thought about it did you think did you think your mission how did you just compartmentalize it or did you just get so busy you just were so busy you just didn't think about it and didn't really think about <clears throat> your future and the context of your sexuality pre-mission? Yeah, I think the way I kind of made sense of it all, um, I, I realized that I was attracted to guys through through porn, through gay porn. Um, and because I'd yet to um, put it on myself so that I was gay or even same-sex attracted, the the way I made sense of it was by saying that once I go on my mission, I will no longer want to look at gay porn after my mission. Um, because it was still, it was still a way, a distance away from me, if that makes any sense. It was not, I guess, part of me. It's honest. Yeah. It's yeah. honest to talk about pornography. I mean, most, I don't know if most, but a lot of teenagers are, you know, have some experiment with pornography and my general feeling, it's a window into your sexual orientation. doesn't change your sexual orientation. Um, but it can be, create a great deal of shame, porn in the first place, but gay porn and maybe on top of that, just because you live in a straight world. How, how was your emotional health before your mission, knowing that this was kind of going on? Um, I think it was pretty solid for the most part. Um, I've, I'm someone that's always been fortunate to be, uh, how, how would I phrase this? Blessed with decent mental health, not perfect, but, um, decent. It's been pretty good. 
And so I was doing doing okay at the time. The hard part came after my mission when I faced the reality of things. Uh, did you talk to anybody before your mission? No, not a single person. Go back and talk to your... I, what age were you when you left on your mission, Dylan? I was 19. Would you... If you could... Your, your 18-year-old self is five years removed from you. If you... If you talk to your 18-year-old self, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything different? Or what would you say to your 18-year-old self to make your 18-year-old self feel better if needed? Or would you just let your 18-year-old self be his 18-year-old self and figure this more out after his mission? I wouldn't change a single thing. I am really happy with the way things have unfolded. That's a good yeah. answer. Um, that's a great answer. Talk about your mission. Just tell us about Chile. Was that on the guessing map at the Stiegel home? And is there any tie to Chile or were you the first one going to Chile and how'd you feel about Chile? Yeah. So I, there's no tie to Chile. I was the first one, um, in my family to get, uh, to go down to South America. My dad actually did not serve a mission. Um, and, but I did, um, I had felt for several months before my mission that I was going Spanish speaking. Um, and so when I got the call, it just hit home that that spiritual prompting I had felt at least six months back before getting my, my mission call, um, came from God. And I love my mission. I had a great experience. I loved every, every minute of it. Why? Um, the Chileans taught me how to love big. Yeah, they taught me how to love big. I, they, they're very touchy and huggy. They love to give hugs. And I think compared to the South American culture, us Americans are very cold, cold-hearted. Um, and I love that. I loved it. And I love the missionaries I served with. And um, I love the impact that they had on my life and the impact that I I hope and I think that I had on their lives. Anybody in particular, tell, is there a mission story that you told at your homecoming you'd just like to share with our listeners that's just a tender missionary experience for you? Um, let's see. It's, it's, it's been a while since I've thought back on all of my, my wonderful missionary experiences. Um, I think one of my favorite mission experiences that I, I always think very um, fondly of was um, I had been in a zone for a little while and as a zone leader uh, with one of my my favorite companions. He was, he was a Chilean. I mean, we were best friends. And I think because of, we were best friends, we were able to work very well together and have a great time. Um, and that translated to uh, our zone becoming very close and working very hard. Um, and the reason I love that, that experience and that, that memory is because for about three months, it seemed like life was just perfect. Um, I was with some of my favorite people. I was doing the Lord's work and we as a zone 
we're doing great work. And I don't think it was because I'm me as a zone leader was special. I don't think that at all, but I think it's because we were, um, my companion and I were best friends. It's cool. This podcast is audio. I wish you could see Dylan just light up as he talks about his mission. We've talked about your mission a few times and I just sent you at a great mission and you gave it your all kind of as your MO Dylan, as far as I know about you, you're kind of all into whatever you're doing or hundred yeah. percent committed. And I sense you did that in Chile and I love that experience. And I love that you just fell in love with the Chilean people and learned from them and love them. And my advice to missionaries is this seems like what you did is just love the people. Cause that seems to unlock the door to helping them feel Christ's love and, helping them to do better in our, in their lives. Anything else you'd like to share from your mission? And I'm wondering as, you know, I ask this question a lot, you know, as you're flying home from your mission, are you thinking about your sexual orientation at all? And you've got to sort of redeal with this or, or you're realizing towards the end of your mission that it's still part of you. So that's kind of sobering or, or is it still, or you're just so focused on your mission. This is really not something you're thinking about at all as you're ending um, your mission. Yeah, so I definitely, subconsciously, I knew that it was still there. But I think when you are with all of your missionary companions and your friends and um, you kind of hype each other up, I think that's a good way to put it. And um, there's a lot of excitement about coming home and getting married and the next um, phases, of the next stages of life. And so I think that the excitement of... Um, everyone on the mission hyping me up, you could say, outweighed what I knew was still there and that was going to end up becoming um, or causing some dark times over the next year after my mission. I know you love your mission, President. You've mentioned that to me. Tell our listeners just what he, some of the things he taught you um, and anything you want to share about your mission, President. Um, the first thing I, I immediately think of, um, I had two mission presidents, one for a year each. And my first mission president had um, a really big impact on me. And I think that's because I came to the mission um, so young, so not naive, but new. That's a good, just, just new. Um, and I was adjusting to the new language, adjusting to um, being in a foreign country, adjusting to to being homesick, uh, adjusting to being the first one in my family on a mission, all of that. And so having my first mission president there really eased that transition. And and after his first year, after that, his last year and my first year, and he was going home, um, he reminded us that. Oftentimes, the Lord doesn't teach us new lessons, but He uses the Spirit to remind us of new lessons, or He uses the Spirit to remind us of lessons we have already learned. Um, and um, I really liked that, and I, I always think back to that. Um, so, I like that. Yeah. Talk about this. Um, you went to college. Tell us, tell our listeners you're on scholarship, what college you went to before your mission and why you decided not to go back. Because I <laughs> sense you had a pretty good experience there. So tell our listeners about that story. 
Yeah, so I was running cross-country and track at the University of Texas at Tyler, so right there in my hometown. Um, it was a Division three school, and it was transitioning into a Division two school, um, and we were great at what we did. Our sports programs were, were really good, and so I had a lot of fun and a lot of things going um, going for me, um, but my HR, the blessings that I would find my wife among the saints and that I needed to surround myself with the saints. And so, um, I transferred to, to BYU, Idaho to, to find my wife. Well, that's going to lead to some further questions that our listeners will be wondering about how that's working out. Um, I realize you're probably the first current BYU, Idaho student I've ever had on the podcast. We've never done, there's never been, that I'm thinking of the 400 podcasts, you are the first current, you know, enrolled BYU-Idaho student, I believe, that's ever been on the podcast. So you're a real trailblazer. So yeah, you go up to BYU-Idaho, just keep sharing your story. You've kind of got this patriarchal blessing and this feeling you're going to BYU-Idaho. You've got your sexual orientation. Just talk, just keep sharing your story. It's kind of like these two worlds colliding. I don't know what the right visual you know, imagery is, but suddenly these two sort of parts of you are colliding. Yeah. So, uh, shortly after my mission, um, so I spent the first, I came home in May of 2019, um, and, and school was going to start in September of 2019. Um, and so I spent those summer months at home with family working and, and just getting to enjoy time with my family. Um, but shortly after, probably sometime in June or early July, um, again, I, I started watching gay porn. And that's when my two worlds started to collide. And it was hard. It was hard. It was, um, yeah, dark times. Um, and it was a lot of... It, it was a combination of shame, um, but also realizing that um, the feelings, the gay issue was not going away. It was still here, even after two years. It was it was um, something that I needed to, to deal with and I needed to stop running from. Um, and that was hard because I, I came up to BYU-Idaho and and every time a new semester starts, there's this energy in the air that's palpable. You can feel it um, of everyone wanting to date and to get married. It's a very palpable energy in the air. Um, and I got to BYU-Idaho and I started to feel that. And I wanted to fit in. And I still wanted to, to get married to a girl, but I was realizing that I was gay. And I wasn't saying that I was gay. I would say that I was same-sex attracted only to myself. You're doing a good job of talking about tender subjects. Yeah. Um, you know, respect for bringing up the porn. I just, listeners, if you've heard me talk about this, I just separate porn from sexual orientation. I just think those are two different things. I invite everybody to, and I think, you know, just stay away from porn, do your best. And I wrote an Ensign article about 
um, sort of taking the shame away to create a better set of tools to put that behind you, but recognize really good men and women within our church are working through that. And shame is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from God's love. And But sexual orientation is something that's sort of out of your control. Um, and even though you're putting those in the same story, I, which is appropriate, I think, for our listeners, if you're just hearing one of these podcasts for the first time, you might be tempted to say, well, Dylan, this is why you're gay. <laughs> you, got exposed, oh, yeah, I, I, you got exposed to this somehow. You kind of got hooked on it, and now it's rewired you. And if anybody said that or thought that, what would you say? And maybe you thought that to yourself. Just if you're okay just yeah, talking about that. I definitely thought for a while there that um, I had caused myself to be gay or to be attracted to guys because at that time I wasn't saying that I was gay. Um, but I definitely felt like I did it to, I did it to myself and that was hard to deal with because there's just even more shame that, that you, you start feeling. And I don't believe that at all anymore. Um, and listening to Ben and Charlie's podcast, I think at one point they mentioned that, um, pornography is a good indication of your sexual orientation. It there is a difference between the two and I fully recognize that. But looking back, me looking at gay porn was just an indication of my sexuality. Yeah. Like guys look at straight porn. It's an indication. Exactly. of your, And so it puts you kind of on the same playing field, which it, on the, so you're both working to sort of work through porn, but I think this, there shouldn't be the shame of the sexual orientation, the tight in there that makes okay. it even harder just keep did keep sharing your story. So now you're coming more to terms with this. I, I love your actually that's pretty I remember going to BYU in my day and feeling that energy is particularly the first semester in the fall. I don't know what it was, but it was the new mm-hmm. semester on campus. Football was exciting. There was just electricity in the air. So that's really true. I remember that back in my day in the 80s. And so you're caught up in that or or maybe not, because you just talk about dating women. Did you try that, or is that still an option, or or not an option? Oh yeah, I was definitely caught up in it, and uh, I think I did a decent job. Um, went on lots of dates. <clears throat> Excuse me. My my uh, that fall semester, and even um, the following semester, right before COVID hit, I um, was dating a lot and um i would get to a point where it was probably three or four weeks in with a girl and um i just couldn't do it anymore um then i move on to the next one um when you say you couldn't do it anymore if you were describing that to somebody what, what i mean describe that um It wasn't necessarily the physical aspect of it. I didn't, that wasn't a problem. It was more so like I wasn't all in. I wasn't fully invested and I knew that I couldn't be fully invested, um, even though I wanted to be. Um, I think that's just the best way to put it. Um, I felt like I was. Um, wasn't fully happy. And I was also hiding a lot of myself um, at this time or at that time. 
Um, and I remember the first girl that I um, started dating up here, gorgeous, gorgeous girl. And uh, it was probably October, mid-October of 2019. And it got to about a month and, and uh, we just realized like, this wasn't going to work. And I was devastated that it, it turned out that way. But at the same time, I was relieved and I felt like I could breathe again. Um, because I knew that I had to, I had a lot to figure out. I was listening to a lot of podcasts. Of the, I was listening to your podcast. I was reading Ben Ben Shalati's, uh blog on online. All these types of things, but very much closeted um, to everyone around me and and, and somewhat to myself. So there was just a lot going on at this time. It's a tough spot, man. You know, I'm just kind of thinking about, I I love that you said I'm dating this gorgeous woman in October and on paper on the outside, everybody probably looks at you and I'm sure you got a lot of comments about how good you look together and your Mm -hmm. roommates. I'm assuming that you just heard a narrative of how good you two look together and, um, but you've got this thing going on that you can't talk to anybody about. And she may not understand, obviously doesn't understand. And and she didn't even know. And it's just to really talk about, um, just keep telling your story. I, I mean, I would probably naturally ask, did you continue to date or did you just, um, and are you dating women or have you just felt like that's not going to work for you? Yeah, I'm cur- currently not dating women. I don't think that is, um, that's not in in my plans right now. Um, and so after I ended things, or we, I think we, we both ended things. It was about a month in. We're just like, hey, this isn't going to work. Um, so that was probably mid-October. And for the rest of that semester and fall, um, I just casually dated um, and lots. Um, I wanted to make sure that people were not questioning um, or had any reason to question anything about me um and then the the following semester started um and and i got into um a relationship and it was going it had the potential to go somewhere um again another very very pretty beautiful woman um but uh this time um, I guess I had made some progress with myself because I did tell her that I was same-sex attractive. That's how I phrased it. <laughs> I phrased it with a lot of shame. Um, and I felt compelled to tell her because she was approaching graduation. She had like a semester or two left, and I just did not want to waste her time if she was not on board with with my situation and so i told her and i said go to the temple and pray about it and she went to the temple she prayed about it and we stopped dating Uh, we stopped seeing each other and um, that was hard on me um, because i was kind of frustrated that god would give her the revelation that she shouldn't date me um 
and and I never voiced that to her. I never really voiced that to anyone. Um, but it kind of felt like God was betraying me in a in a way. I thought if I was I was really going out of my way and really trying to do what I felt was right to tell her, and by me telling her, um, it wasn't working out in my favor, and that's completely fine. But at the same time, it was it was hard, and I. Yeah, I felt like God was betraying me. It's honest. And you've got this yeah. you've got this patriarchal blessing and you've got this feeling of why you went to BYA in the first place. You had the courage to be open with this gal about what's going on. And I think you're a man of character and sort of a stand-up guy that wanted to be up front as this got a little more serious and she was graduating. And I love that you invited her to go to the temple. You didn't take your personal revelation and sort of impose it on her. I think that's really a sign of your character and your understanding how personal revelation works. But <laughs> I sit with you in the complexity of that, man. Yeah. I mean, there's just the paradoxes that to me are unreconcilable. I don't know if you've tried to reconcile it. Uh, and I don't know if you've continued to date women after that or you just felt like that or if that was one of the last times you did seriously date women. Um, so I tried a little bit more. Um, I was, uh, I was, um, on, on mutual and I, I met another gorgeous girl and we were, it was very, it was a very casual thing. We would, um, she'd come support me at my intermural, intermural, uh, soccer game. Um, and we would just hang out and, um, it was just very, very casual. Um, and that was the last girl that I, I remember dating that I can, that's the girl, last girl I made an effort to date. Um, and part of that was, um, because of my own choices, but also because COVID hit, um, right as we, as we were, you know, having fun together. And so COVID hit and that's when things started to change. Talk about, um, and with COVID, I think you went back home. Um, yeah, I went back home for for a couple of months, and then I went out to Kentucky to do summer sale. Okay. Shifting gears a little bit, then I want to come back to your story. Just You're the first guy that I've ever talked to on the podcast that could talk about what it's like at BYU-Idaho BYU, Idaho being closeted now out. Just... You know, people, there may be parents or other students um, wondering, could I be okay at BYU or could I send my LGBTQ child to BYU at home? And there'll probably be a range of experiences, but just talk to that as best as you can. Oh, <laughs> what I would say a year ago is that it's not doable. It's it's um it's hard it's not a welcoming place um i think rexburg is one of the most, most conservative places on this on this planet but um and byu idaho um but now that i'm out i would say that is doable and it can bring a lot of joy um i have zero regrets about being 100% out up here 
And I'm so glad I did it. Wow. Talk, will you read your coming out post for us? This is listeners. We're recording this. This will come out sometime. I think it's September, late September. And so this is, um, remember seeing this on August 20th that you posted on Facebook and Instagram. So if you can pull that up, read it for us, our listeners. Okay. Friends and family, never in a million years did I think the day would come when I'd make a post like this. But here goes nothing. I'm finally ready to let y'all in on something that I've only been telling select people over the past year and a half. I'm gay. I once thought I'd go to the grave with that. I spent 10 years trying to run away from the fact that I was gay. That did a number on me. The closet is a terrible place. It's crazy what shame and loneliness can cause one to think about themselves. I used to think that God hated me just because I was attracted to guys or just because I'm attracted to guys. I felt broken and unfixable. I thought there was no place for me in heaven. I was sure that I would lose all my friends and loved ones if they knew. Thankfully, I now know that all those lies I used to believe were just that, lies. About a year ago, I had a few amazing individuals challenge me to ask God what he thought about me. It was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. I could ask God how he felt about me being gay. What a life-changing prayer. I now know that God does in fact love me. I no longer feel broken. I trust that God does in fact have a place for me in heaven. My worst fear of losing my friends and loved ones once I told them didn't come true at all. Thank you to my amazing friends or thank you to my amazing family and friends who have been there with me throughout all of this. It means the world to me. If anyone has any questions, feel free, feel free to reach out. Love, Dylan. Um, great post. Um, I saw this on Facebook. I looked at the stats, you know, there are 93 comments and 272 likes and Instagram, 266 likes, 65 comments. And I, I don't know if you deleted any, but they all seemed really supportive and loving. Um, talk before the comments, talk about what led you to, to do this. Never in a million years did I think this day would come, and it came on August 20th. So just, there may be others wondering, should I do this? Should I actually come out in a broad way? Talk about what led up to that. Um, kind of like what I meant, I mentioned it in the, in my post, but um, I had been telling people for about a year and a half. Um, but what gave me the confidence to to start telling people in a more open way, in a more um, authentic um, authentic way, was that life changing prayer, like I mentioned. Um, I was out doing summer sales and. And I had a few people just challenge me, Dylan, ask, ask God how he feels about you. Have, have you ever done that? And it had never crossed my mind that I could do that because I thought that God hated me in this part of me. So why would I ask God how he feels about me? I know that he hates me. Um, I felt like I was an enemy to God and that the only person worse than me was Satan. And so I didn't see any any benefit in asking God. Um, but I went out on a limb and I did it. And 
um, that's that's when everything started to change. That's when my confidence started to come back. That's when I started to heal. That's when the shame started to go away. Um, that's when everything started to fall into place. Because um, the answer I got back was very simple. Dale and I, you're my son. I know exactly what you're going through. I created you this way. I love you. That was it and all I needed. Wow. I feel like you just led us into a really sacred moment in your life that was well done to share that with others because other people need to hear that, Dylan. Use some pretty good vocabulary to describe what you thought about yourself before this prayer. And um, I recognize the messages that you've received about gay people in society and from our own church at times have kind of put you in that spot. And, um, but I, I really am with you that I don't think God put you in that spot. And when you ask God how he felt about you, all of you, I love you, answer you got, and the deep spiritual experience you got. I mean, listeners, I just don't think God makes mistakes. I don't think he's surprised that I, th- I think Dylan, who Dylan is, is who Dylan is meant to be, um, including his sexual orientation. I don't think something went awry. Um, that's what I wrote in my book, and I think everybody needs to look in the mirror and feel on the same moral footing, straight or gay, trans or or cis. Just we're all children of heavenly parents who love us, and they've created us the way we're intended to be creative. And I don't think, I think the shame you felt is society-induced shame. I don't think it comes from reading the scriptures necessarily or praying or, you know, the feelings you felt serving others in Chile. I think it comes through the messages you've received, and that's where we can do so much better. Um, So on behalf of all our listeners, thank you for taking us there. I wish everybody could see your face. You're just full of light and goodness. And I love the people in your life that invited you to do that. And talk then about your decision. Just tell more of the backstories. That what led you then to sort of say, I'm going to, let people know this about me. Yeah. I, so before that prayer, I, I told, um, um, I told my mission president and I used, um, I said I was same sex attracted. And, um, I told a few, um, handful of people, you being uh, one of those people. Um, but it wasn't really until, summer of 2020 that I started to um, tell people that scared me. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, well, I'm skipping a part. I'm skipping a part. I, I told my parents um, in a text message, a group text message, um, in late October or early November of, of 2020 or 2019. So about six months after my mission, I sent them a text. And, uh, if a text, if a button on your screen could be hard to push, that was the hard, hardest button I've ever had to push. 
Um, I took everything I had to do it. Um, and I don't, I didn't sleep much that night. Um, and I just said I was same sex attracted and I wanted them to know and they responded. Um, we'll talk more about this in the morning, but we love you so much. Don't forget that. Um, the next morning we talked and my mom offered to fly up to Idaho to see me. And, uh, I think that was, I look back now and I just, I, I smile thinking about that, that she was willing to drop everything and, and fly up here to see me. Um, and I, I declined that offer. Um, but it was, I'm glad that she was willing to do that. Um, so I told them, um, and then, but summer of 2020 is when I started to tell people that scared me. Um, I told one of the guys I was selling with, and he goes to BYU, and and for whatever reason, I do believe that our paths crossed, crossed um, for various different reasons, and this being one of them. I think he was the first straight guy I ever told. Um, and... To have him treat me, uh, his name is David, to have him treat me so uh, normally and for him to normalize the subject that I have that has brought me so much shame was life-changing. Um, he would joke about everything just in a very normal way, in a very bromance type way, I guess. And... Uh, that was really healing. And then I started to tell people little by little after that. It's a pretty interesting principle. I, I felt confident enough to tell people that scared me. And I guess part of the scaring is the risk of a relationship care about changing or um, people that you care about treating you differently. And summer cells, from what I know about, it, it's a bunch of guys in college that it's, it's not just an eight to five job. It's sort of a summer experience together um, where you're just sharing life together. And um, I would assume that there's a risk in your mind. This could change my relationship with all these guys. Um, but I love, you know, I think everybody, I think you said his name was Dave. Is that right? David. Yeah. Talk to people that want to be like David. Um, they want to, be safe for people so they if there's people around them just want to talk about real stuff I mean what was it about David you just felt you could talk to him and then tell us more what David did just to help you feel the healing that you felt um so David had been vulnerable with me um about his um, his own things um, he had been vulnerable with me and so I think part of that, I knew that being vulnerable with him um, wasn't as risky as maybe someone else. Um, so being vulnerable is, I think, the first thing. And then after that, um, David asked lots of questions. Um, he voiced his opinion on things that he didn't understand. And... Um, What, and I told him I was okay with him saying something offensive because we were both figuring it all out. And because I was one of his first gay friends. And so he, 
it's not like he was an ally. It's not like he's well versed in 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 all of this. It's just I threw it on him, um, and he he just he accepted it and and loved. And I think the reason why he was able to love so well is because he he goes he he has his own things. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I think sometimes culturally we're in our church, somehow it's hard to be vulnerable and it's hard to be real and authentic. And we put on this kind of front um, to our ward family and our community. And sometimes the reality of our life doesn't match what we're projecting. And that dissonance can be really hard on us. But I think it's, you know, I think being vulnerable in appropriate situations, even in a core meeting or the society meeting and a testimony um, like David did with you in Summer Cells, it probably helped David. I mean, if David came on the podcast, I'm thinking, Dylan, he's saying you're someone that really helped him um, yeah. and just could talk about real stuff. And he felt really safe talking to you. And you then felt really safe talking to him and you guys are just kind of, you know, working together to help each other in unique roads. And so that to me makes me happy. It is one of the thing, themes I've picked up, listeners. It's often the straight peer friends that just stay great friends that are really healing to LGBTQ people, roommates, missionary companions, family members that just are the key nucleus of a friendship group that nothing changes. Um, that's a great story. Other stories you'd like to tell um, leading up to the post? Because then I'm going to ask you the response to the post. Okay. Um, oh, there's so many. There's, there's, I made sure I told um, just about everyone that I wanted to tell Um in, in person or either on the phone before I made that post. There were a few people that, that slipped through the cracks, but I did a really good job of telling just about everyone. And, uh, and again, like I, I grew up with a, a close group of, of guy friends that um, some are back in Texas living their lives, some are um, just doing their thing, and we're still best buds. And we grew up going to church together, and, and some are active, some are not. Um, and to come out to them, um, before making my coming out post was, was very healing again, because, um, they treated it as almost a non-issue. Like, well, we, we still love you. You're still Dylan. You're, you're Dylan. We've always known. And, uh, I think they even said, we're, we're going to be really, really upset if you, you know, cut us out of your life. And so to hear all of those things was really healing. And then to tell them and then for them to follow up a couple of days later at wanting to know more, wanting to know if I'm dating, wanting to know how it is with me and my relationship with the church, wanting to know all of these things, um, not to judge me, but to really gauge where I'm at and just understand was really healing. 
Um, so if there's one thing I could tell my, my, my 21 year old self that really thought I was going to lose all my friends and family, I would try my best to instill that confidence that I would not lose a single person because I haven't. That's great segment. Talk about, you know, I don't know, some, I hear stories of people that make these posts and then they just don't want to look at social media for a period of time. And some people that make them and see the comments come in. I mean, the comments come in pretty fast, I think, but just talk about the comments and um, anything that was painful, anything that was helpful. Um, I assume then other closeted people reached out to you. Just talk anything you want to talk about what happened after the coming out post. Yeah. So I, my phone was blowing up for about 48 hours, maybe even going on to three days, um, four days. Um, I had tons of people reach out, people that I haven't talked to in several years. And then um, some complete strangers that um, just follow me on social media and the outpouring of love was overwhelming um, in the most perfect way. Um, I didn't receive any negativity. The only thing that you, I received one comment that, um, said some temptations are stronger than others. And if that's the only one I got, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty lucky. Talk about just in case someone's learning to be educated, why is that not a helpful comment? Um, I don't, I don't really see my sexuality as a, as a temptation. Um, I don't, I don't think straight people look at their sexuality as a, as a temptation. Good answer. I think, yeah. Um, and then I, and, and now I hold on to a lot of people's secrets that reached out to me. Um, so it's, it's interesting for things to go full circle. Did you have people from your mission? Um, reach out to you. I don't know what the Chile culture is generally around LGBTQ. Um, I don't know if you had companions that had reached out to you. I just, is there any mission um, part of this as you came out that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had um, plenty of members from Chile reach out to me. I had some of my converts reach out to me. I had all of my companions reach out to me. I had missionaries I served to reach out to me. I had both of my mission presidents reach out to me, everyone. And all just so much positivity. There's so much healing listeners, just when people come out and all these, all the things you've been thinking in your mind about what would my companions think? What would my converts in Chile think? You know, oh, yeah. what all these people that I love and love me think if they knew this part about me? And some people have more of kind of an OCD mind that circulate those thoughts over and over and over again, and some don't. But it's, I think everybody would think all those thoughts and then to be able to be out. You keep using the word healing, and I think that's a great word. I don't think that's a sign of weakness, Dylan, or that you were, that I think it's just the reality of where you were through no fault of your own and the needed healing that needed to come into your life and how that's been provided by other people that, that you love and respect and know you for who you are. I love some of those comments. You're the same Dylan. 
Um, nothing's changed. I love um, people asking you about the realities of your life. Are you dating? You know, men, women. I think that's a perfectly appropriate question for a friend to ask. I think it's appropriate for people to say, so tell me your relationship with the church. And um, listeners, I think it's just okay to ask people those questions. It's the reality of their life as they share this part of your life. And I think a way to connect with them is just is to ask those kind of questions. I think most people with a trusted friend are glad to talk about that stuff. It's the reality of their situation. They've got to face that and to have people that they love willing to talk about that and just be willing to be a safe person, I think is just part of friendship. And you need to have those discussions with people that you care about. Talk I don't know if you would want to talk more about the coming out post. Do you want to talk any more about the comments or the people? I'd love. Um, I don't think I have any, anything else. I'd just like to reiterate um, to, to myself, my, my, my 21 year old self right off the mission. And, you know, maybe even someone that's, that's closeted that, um, those fears and the, those feelings of shame and those feelings that you're going to lose those people that matter to you in your life are all just fears and they're not, they're not true. Um, I like to think that most people are good. I like to think that the world is good. And, and even though things in the church may be hard, um, at least the people that represent the church to me show that the church is good to me. That's a great distinction. And the church can be hard and is hard for many LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And and we could talk more about that. That's certainly a reality of your life and most LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Talk a little bit about labels. I sort of give everybody the permission to use whatever label they want to. Um, I think that's just part of grace or no label, but you used to use same-sex attraction, now you use gay. Just talk about that journey for our listeners. Yeah, I I um, I use the phrase gay. I used to use same-sex attracted um, for 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 a while there and I, I don't like the, the phrase saying sex attracted anymore um, because when I use that term it's full of shame it was a way of running um, from this part of myself and gay is a way of owning this part of myself um, and it fits so much better with me um, there's not any shame it, it's just a part of me. Um, I know that you know among in in the in the church there. I think if you use the word gay, some people think you're living that lifestyle. Um, and I hope we can get we can steer away from that and and move on from that. Because um, gay just sits so well with me. It's a way of owning owning every aspect of myself. That's great, really helpful answer. There's no shame owning that aspect of yourself, which came through personal revelation with that experience with God. And 
versus running and hiding in shame. Um, certainly we have stories of, you know, the Garden of Eden and what happened there about shame and running and hiding. And I love that your journey to run and hide is over. Um, and that came through personal revelation. I think that's something Dylan and I would invite any LGBTQ Latter-day Saint to do is, is you know, seek personal revelation and cement that relationship between you and your heavenly parents. I think that's one of the cornerstones of our doctrine that is so helpful. I listened to Tom Christofferson's recent podcast with Patrick Mason and Chavez's, and he talked, Tom talks so much about his relationship with Christ and and our church is a means to accomplish that. And um, I love that you took the doctrine of our church to get personal revelation in your life and you're not running and there's no shame. And I just think listeners that when we're have a great relationship with God and the shame is out of our life, we all make better decisions. And I think Dylan, you're in the best spot you've ever been. You, I mean, just looking at you and hearing you and knowing you for a couple of years, I think you're the best personal self that you've ever been. You're in the best spot emotionally, spiritually. Um, yeah, you've got questions about just exactly how your future is going to work out, but I think you've gotten yourself into a really good spot to make really thoughtful decisions about your future. Talk about BYU-Idaho. So you're out at BYU-Idaho. You've got role models at BYU that are out, you know, that you've mentioned Ben and Charlie's podcast, and they're just terrific uh, men doing great things, love their podcasts and their work. But, And I think you've connected with them for a while. But talk about, you know, you're like, there's not many people out at BYU-Idaho, and you're out. Share that with our listeners. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to to go from um, thinking that I was the only gay person up here um, a couple of years ago. Um, it's pretty cool to go from thinking that um, I would not be accepted and I would be judged um, to, to realizing that it's all the same. I'm just not running for myself anymore. Um, it's pretty cool to um, give hope to other closeted gays. I, I, I run a, a support group on off campus and, and the fact that I'm out, I think gives a lot of hope to a few members of the group. How would people connect with you to, if they want to, if they're closeted BYU Idaho students, if they want to be a part of that support group? Um, a lot of it has been through social media. Um, so I, I think most gay people know that like, it's pretty easy to connect the dots when you have mutual friends. Um, so and if anyone ever, if anyone ever follows me, I just, I just mention it to them. Um, but we do, we do have a website. Um, we need to update it cause it used to be called the, the brotherhood and now it's, it's called the light. Um, so it's, um, that was redone about a year and a half ago. Um, so we've been the light for about that long, and and uh, we have a, a, I think a more inclusive mission statement, and so we have a broad range of people going there, attending the group. Um, but sometimes, yeah, we'll we'll get them from the website if they reach out to the website, or we get them through social media, or um, current members of the group. They'll if they have a friend. Um, they'll invite them to the group. Um, it's a small, there's only about 
15 of us and sometimes only 10 of us show up to, to group meetings, but um, I found it to be beneficial, or at least I hope. And so listeners will link to, you know, Dylan's Instagram account. I'll tag him in f- on Facebook when I post this on Facebook. So if you're up, you know, I use up meaning geographically because I'm in Salt Lake City. I don't know if your elevation is actually higher. Um but you could connect with Dylan and um, be a part of that support group. If you're thinking of going to BYU-Idaho, you could message Dylan and just get more um, feelings about the lay of the land to see if that's a good place for you. Talk about BYU administration. They've got an office of inclusion. If if I'm naming it correctly, I've inter- you know I've heard some. I don't know if you want to talk at all about BYU-Idaho as a whole and what kind of feedback or support, if any, you're getting from BYU teachers, administration, this office I mentioned. Yeah, there's a few things I could share. Um, I think the culture is changing slowly, but surely up here. Um, And, and that's, that's amazing. Um, Rexburg had their first pride event in June of this year. And the, the BYU Idaho office of, inclusivity if i'm getting that right um had had a booth there and they were giving out tacos um at the pride event in rexburg so i think that's a win um i uh a few of my professors that uh or my academic advisor knows i'm knows i'm gay and a few of my professors know i'm gay um and one of my professors has has a he's head of the department and has quite a bit of leadership responsibilities that um, aren't part of just him teaching. Um, and he's asked me to um, share some of my experiences, why a certain religion class, uh, the eternal family um, could be hard. Um, they've asked for my experiences and, um, and things like that. So I think that there is, um, a lot of effort going into making sure that this this little town and this school is uh, more inclusive. That's great. Thanks for your work and everybody that's listening that's connected with BYU-Idaho. I went to North Star a couple years ago and uh, there was a whole BYU-Idaho contingency there, if that's the right word, of mm-hmm. religion professors, this um, Department of Inclusivity. But just think about that, listeners. Um, when I talk about sometimes just we're writing chapters in a book of better meeting the needs of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and we talk about um, a, a BYU booth at a pride parade in Rexburg, um, staffed by BYU personnel, um, to to signal that, you know, part, we want everybody to feel welcome at BYU-Idaho. We want this to be a place where... Straight Latter-day Saints generally feel welcome. They're not too worried about, you know, that not being a welcome place. But LGBTQ Latter-day Saints also feel welcome because it makes BYU-Idaho a better place and prepares everybody for the world. David is going to have, back to David, he's going to have LGBTQ people in his life. He may end up raising an LGBTQ child, but your experience with him and so I think part of the academic experience is understanding all of Heavenly Father's children and having all of Heavenly Father's children in your life so that you can do better in your own life and 
in a practical way, um, live the gospel of Jesus Christ and bear mourning comfort. So that's a big deal if you think about it. I mean, people have gone to BYI 10 years ago that were closeted would probably go, you know, that's pretty dramatic for my day. If I came out as gay to a professor, I'm not sure I could have stayed at BYU at Idaho. Certainly that's been true in our history as a church, in our church schools. But here you are, I was gay to professors and did it seems like they were they wanted to understand your experience versus remind you of our doctrine. <laughs> I'm guessing you know yeah. our doctrine, Dylan, but they wanted to understand how they can improve your experience. Yeah, definitely. They wanted to understand um, how the doctrine could be difficult or how um, the culture could be hard. And that's part of listening. I think that gives me hope for the future. And I've always felt listeners that um, church-owned schools is where potentially it's kind of choppy that some of the best work could be done in this space that then can be taken to our wards and stakes. But sometimes wards and stakes are leading under to better support LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Um, talk about, I had a question in my mind. It just left my mind, darn it. Um, maybe it'll come back. <laughs> talk, I talk about your career. What kind of doctor do you want to be? Um, I think I want to be an orthopedic surgeon, but I'm open to, um, anything. I know I have a lot to see. I still have four years of med school ahead of me and some clinicals and rotations and in between there. And so I know that that very well could change. So I'm very open to that, but there's something special about orthopedics. If what kind of, you know, some orthopedic surgeons sort of focus in, would ideally, do you have a feeling of what kind of surgery you like to do? I like sports, like sports medicine. That is great. I like it a lot. Yeah. When I hear someone your age that has a feeling of what they want to do, my feeling is this is for you listeners as well as Dylan is I've always felt like motivation and ability that, you know, a lot of people have the ability to become an orthopedic surgeon and often it's the motivation. I'm not saying everybody does, but it's a pretty highly specialized, but often it's the, it's the motivation that's the tiebreaker and the people that believe in themselves the most and the people that just have a feeling of what they want to do and, and then end up doing it. The guys that became orthopedic surgeons, that were my high school friends. I didn't really, I saw orthopedic surgeons as these old 50 year olds that just look like the smartest people on the earth. And then guys my age, men and women became orthopedic surgeons. And I thought they were just motivated and have a feeling of where they want to go. And now there are those guys in my life. And so that's a, a vote of confidence for all of you wondering, can you do it and just take it a step at a time. And it's a long road, especially to do what you want to do. But I could totally see you doing that, Dylan, and blessing the world in, in a lot of different ways. Um, Dylan, tell us about the nonprofit. Here you are, a college student, pretty busy with everything you've got going on, serious class load, running this support group. But with all that going on, you and maybe others have helped you start a nonprofit. So tell us about the nonprofit. Okay. Um, so the pro nonprofit is called Teton Light. Um, and I think it's important to read the mission statement um, so that the name and kind of where it all, how it all ties in makes sense. 
Um, our mission is to empower the LGBTQ youth of Eastern Idaho, enabling them to let their light shine before men. That's right. So our our name comes from Matthew five sixteen, and that's tied into our mission statement. Um, we plan on doing that by providing scholarships um, to both UI students and to graduating seniors um, from the surrounding high schools in the area. Um, and we're going to allow them to apply for um, a scholarship, you could say, either for tuition um, or for therapy. Um, and if they're at BYU-Idaho and they want to transfer and they still want to apply for our scholarship, they're more than welcome to do so. Um, so we'll be providing um, tuition and, and, and uh, well, scholarships for tuition and for, um, for therapy. We have Flourish Point up here in, in Rexburg that already offers subsidized therapy. And so by us providing um, a scholarship, you could say, for someone to go to therapy, they're going to be, get a lot, be getting a lot of bang for their buck uh, with subsidized therapy. Um, that's going to be life-saving. Um, and I think that the tuition aspect of, of, of things can also be life-saving. I think um, if, if a student is tight on money and they're having to figure out their sexuality or feeling like they don't belong here, I think having the money aspect of things to not have to stress about can give them the mental capacity to figure out their sexuality. We're taking a little bit of their burden off of their shoulders. Um, and so our goal is to raise 10000 by December. And then a lot of those scholarships will be going to BYUI students because I don't think high schoolers need money in December. <laughs> um, and then later on um, next year, springtime, um, we'll be dividing those scholarships up into for BYUI students and for high schoolers graduating high school. Um, Tell her, it's very exciting. Yeah, there's a huge smile on your face. Talk about, I, is there a website? I can't take full credit. Tell I can't uh, take tell full more. credit. I'm a co-founder. I'm a co-founder of this. One of my best friends, Holly, and I have been working on this for the past several months. It's really cool. How do people donate? What's the website? And listeners will put the link in our podcast podcast notes too but just verbally share it with us yeah so our website is tetonlight.org um right now while we're recording this podcast we're wrapping up our podcast uh or we're wrapping up our website sorry about that we got our nonprofit officially recognized this week by the state of idaho we set up our bank account and we're wrapping up our paypal uh, so that people can donate so we are just about good to go that's um really cool. I I hope that this is the beginning flourish. Also, I'm glad you brought up flourish and the good work they're doing in your community there. But I hope that my hope is that this is sustained. You're going to be in med school, probably not in Rexburg, <laughs> since there no, is no we... med school there. But I'm hoping that you've set this up in a way that is sustainable, and this is just the beginning of something that. Um, in five and 10 years, people go, now, how did this start and how long has it been going? And people will go, well, it came together in 2021. And let me tell you the story. Exactly. We, 
we've had that on our minds and that's why we're making sure we we're working with faculty members um, that are very very supportive they love this um and then we're also working with community members and so i see a lot of potential and there may be lgbtq alumni or straight alumni <laughs> allies of byu idaho that sometimes we as allies think what can we do to help but this would be something in a very practical pragmatic way that you could that you could help that community that you may have a tie to and all, all lot sounds like lots of stakeholders want to do a better job in that community. Um, mm-hmm. And the time is really right to do that. Anything else you want to share about the nonprofit? Um, I don't think so. I think that's about everything. Um, other things, I still have that question that I can't get back to, but just anything else you'd like to share? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, no, I don't think I have anything. Do you have any questions? Talk to, just talk to closeted LGBTQ youth, pre-mission, post-mission. You've done that already with your personal story, especially your prayer to Heavenly Father, but just any thoughts you'd give to them? Um, first off, just just hang in there. Hang in there. And, and I think what my saving grace was somehow having a few people that I um, could talk to. Um, I think having a few people and those maybe um, those people for me were, were Ben Shalati and Richard, you, um, my mission president. Um, and so, you know, my situation's a little, I, I don't know how I was able to cross paths with Ben and, and you, um, but it happened. And then having, and then going from there, um, I was, I was put in contact with, with Travis Stewart and he helped me out, um, a time or two. So, um, I think just finding that those people that can give you some guidance is, is life changing. It's great advice. Um, one of the things, listeners, as I've been in this space is, you know, I used to kind of think I could pick out, you know, the LGBTQ people in my life. But the longer I've met people, the re- the realization is um, LGBTQ people are in all walks of life doing all sorts of things. And I don't know if anybody, you know, came up to you after you came out and said, I knew you were gay. I was just waiting for you to say, my guess is very little that happened with you because you don't fit any this typical stereotype. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I could go on and on about that. And I think that's part of the reason why it was so hard for me to accept my sexuality was that I um, would see other people that or other guys that I, everyone clearly knows are gay. And the way I would, I don't know, internalize homophobia or the way I would um, cope with all of that is, well, he's gay. I'm not like him. I can't be gay. Um, and I think that it's just important to recognize that being gay or LGBTQ comes in many different forms. It's just important to be yourself. Did anybody say I knew you were gay? Um, I had a per- like a few people, 
Um, I'd say they, they kind of had like suspicions, but I don't really think they knew because most people told me they had no idea. Um, a lot of people were really surprised. Um, they were really, really surprised when I told them. And I share that, listeners, because I've been really surprised um, as people <laughs> have reached out to me from all walks of life. Um, just a side note, I was watching Monday Night Football. I'm recording this in September. It was the first game for Carl Nassib, if I'm saying his name right. I don't know if you know how to say his name any better than I do. I think you did a good job. <laughs> He's an Oakland, I mean, sorry, Las Vegas Raiders defensive end. And I love Monday Night Football. I don't know why. And, you know, that game went into overtime. And I'll just read a, read. um a little bit from this news story. With the game tied at 27 and extra time, Nassib stripped the ball away from Ravens star quarterback Lamar Jackson in the winning winning moment, waning moments of the period. The play then set up the Razors' offense to score the game-winning touchdown um, after a come-from-behind team effort who were playing their first game in Allegiant Stadium. That's obviously where BYU won their first game of the year. But I like some of this, you know... This article just talks about he was the first, he played the first, that's the first game, game NFL game with an openly gay player. And some of the um, commentary did talk about his sexual orientation in the Monday Night F- Football broadcast. Um, NBA legend, <laughs> I don't think he was on the broadcast, but NBA legend Charles Barkley wore his NASA jersey. Um, And I just, I could read this article, but I think the thing I loved is just the things that the Monday Night Football crew said is just, you know, when he came out during the summer and then he showed up to training camp, it was a non-issue. And they showed this picture of Carl with all his teammates and it was just a non-issue. And they just recognized Carl's contributions to the team. And I... And then he delivered this play that led to the winning drive. And I think if Carl had come out 10 years ago, how would his teammates have responded? And then would Carl not have had the confidence, just like the confidence you talk about, Dylan, that you feel right now because you're out and you know people love you and you can be your personal best. You know how God feels about you and you want to be a doc. And I think it's you're in a great spot to become a doc because you are your personal best. But I recognize what Carl's done for his team and what his team's done for Carl. And in a society that's working to improve, those are the things that make me happy as we come together as the same human family and we see Carl for what he can contribute. And then Carl's role, just like your role, to become a role model for other people that need role models in their lives. You know, what you're doing at BYO Idaho and the lives you're changing and the people you're influencing for good. And so, you know, I'm never really a, I don't, I've never really rooted for the Raiders. I guess I keep calling them the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders. I do need to go to that new stadium. Any closing thoughts, Dylan? I don't think so. No. Okay. So Richard Osler and Dylan Stiegel signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And great job, Dylan. Really great Thank job. You.